Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. I'm in Milton Keynes, and Michael McMullen is in the Republic of Ireland. I'm in Milton Keynes, of course, because I'm at the Championship League, which is the first snooker back since uh, the Gibraltar Open in the middle of March. I'm going to say right away that, uh, and it's a great event, this, but the one thing that doesn't have going for it is strong Wi-Fi in the hotel. So we may have the odd problem, but we'll we'll battle through. It's not like it's been sort of pristine <laughs> in these last weeks, anyway. So I, we're going to get to the Championship League shortly, but just just briefly before we do, I just want to follow up one thing. Last week we had an email from a university student, um, and Matt Hewitt actually got in contact, Matt, from the WPBSA. I kind of missed this in the, in amongst all the sort of thick of the run of professional tournaments in February, but actually they did announce that the English Partnership for Snooker and Billiards that WPBSA are also involved in are now affiliated to the UPC, that's the governing body for university Q-sports, and they, the idea is to provide more playing opportunities for students. So Ollie, who wrote in last week, and anyone else interested in that, if you check out the WPBC website, they've got all the information about that. That sounds like a good initiative. Now then, it's a little bit like being a sort of in university halls for me because I'm uh, I'm, I'm sort of confined to barracks. I'll, I'll, I'm at the Championship League. Before we talk about the actual tournament, I'll just explain what happens when you get here because you'll have heard about the fact everyone is sort of effectively quarantined and there's only certain places in the bubble you can go so this is what happened when i arrived i arrived on saturday morning you wait outside you have to two two meters apart you queue up you wait for your name to be called you come into a little reception area you register you get handed a room key you then get shown to a room where you're tested there's been a lot of talk about the testing not being very nice it's not that nice but it's not the worst thing in the world they put a little uh, swab down the back of your throw one up your nose. It takes no more than a minute, I promise you. You then immediately have to go to your room and you have to stay there essentially for the whole day until you get your results. Now, because we arrived early, we actually got our results in the evening and thankfully we tested negative for the coronavirus. You then get given a, a, a little wristband, a little bracelet, and that means you can leave your room and go to the areas you're allowed in, which is the arena and the backstage. And there's also a little outdoor terrace for, for smokers and you can sit there and have a chat um, if you're socially distanced. I have to say... This is probably the best organised tournament I've ever been to in terms of the planning that's gone into it. 
I thought of pretty much everything. Um, I've got a credit, Matchroom and, and WST. I thought of pretty much everything. Um, Donna from WST, Abigail from Matchroom were right on it when we arrived. And, you know, they've, they've had to comply with government regulations and they've done a great job. You know, obviously it's different things in terms of like the rests are now all in the corner and the players having to get used to that. I haven't heard one bad word from a player all about it. I think they're grateful to have the opportunity and I think that they you know, are prepared to throw themselves into it and embrace the way it's been done. It's very different, but this tournament didn't have to be on. So that's from my side, just being here. It's very impressive. They've set up this bubble. The hotel staff are staying here as well. Everyone in the bubble, it's about 100 people in total, cannot leave until either players get knocked out or, um, you know, the event is over. So it's it's been, uh, there's no bar to go to at the end of the night. That's one thing that's changed. Normally we'd have a drink and a sort of jolly up. It's none of that. You go back to your room, but that's how it should be. So from that side, it's it's it feels like an incredibly secure environment, and so far everyone is, is sort of obeying the rules. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's the gone. Well, just a few things to pick up on there. I mean, you know, I think it would be out of order for any player to have a bad word to say about it mm-hmm. for the very reasons you've outlined. It didn't need to be on, and more to the point, nobody had to play in it, and a lot of players have chosen to stay at home, which is which is absolutely fine. And it's funny, you know, as you know, I've been to the Championship League many times. It's normally the most sociable tournament uh, on the circuit. And again, for the reasons you've outlined there, it's gone to the complete other extreme now, obviously, because you're having people sealed off in their rooms and going into isolation and that. So it's a big change there. And one thing that's really noticeable, the number of times you've seen players over the few days reach for the rest. And of course, Mm. it's not there because now they're in this rack in the corner of the room. So I wonder if they'll get used to that by the end of it. Well, there was, there was a funny incident. I commentated on Tiger 2, Mark King, Harvey Chandler. Now, Mark, in particular, because, I mean, he's been playing forever, hasn't he? He's played as a junior and amateur, been a pro nearly 30 years. Just instinctively, you reach for the rest, and he was doing it all the time, never remembered. But what, what a funny thing happened. Harvey Chandler actually used the rest on a shot, Mr. Pot, and he actually put the rest back where it you know usually is, and no one noticed. The ref didn't notice. The players didn't notice. So the next frame started... And Mark's done that thing instinctively reaching for it, and suddenly it's there. <laughs> so it's there, and then no one knew where it had come from. And, and also, they, they had to work out whose it was, because technically you can't touch the other player's rest. They'll get sanitised, you know, between matches. Yeah, it's a lot to get used to. But I think, yeah, you're right. I mean, no no one has the right to complain about it. You know, it's it, all the players are being asked to do is come and play. You have to go through the quarantine, but that's no more than a day. Um, you know, the testing isn't nice, and obviously if the group winners have to come back and, and get it done again. But, you know, it's better to be safe than sorry. Sorry. Um, I, I, I think they've done a good, feedback is coming in my ear, but hopefully that will go. Yeah, I think they've done a great job, and I mean that. I'm not saying that. Obviously, people say, well, you know, you're working on it, you're self-interested. Honestly, they've done a great job. I've not heard a bad word about it. And hopefully, look, we're recording this on Thursday. There's still a week to go. I'm not saying nothing's going to go wrong. You can't say that. But Touchwood, so far, all the tests have been passed, and, you know, there haven't been any major issues yet. So hopefully that will continue. Um, let's talk, though, about the actual event, because um, – it's not the Champions League, Championship League as we quite know it. It used to be, of course, seven-man groups, now four-man groups. Uh, um, day one, obviously, we led off with Judd Trump. Everyone was interested to see him um, doing his Terry Griffiths impression with his, <laughs> with his haircut. Um, the, the actual, I thought the play on day one wasn't great. The standard wasn't great. And, you know, I don't want to pick on any players, but, the, you know, you look at a match like Elliot Slesser versus Daniel Wells, that would never normally be picked television. Um, and players coming back, you know, rusty, um, the standard wasn't particularly high. But the next two, the, the, I was going to say, I was going to say just before we, I was going to say the next two days though, the the standard and the excitement was was ratcheted up. Yeah, well, very very much so. And uh, you, you, what you mentioned there about the first day, it was actually quite reminiscent for me of about fifteen years ago, when of course 
having two or three months between tournaments mm. wasn't actually that unusual. And we all know the standard of play really dipped actually on the circuit around that time. So, uh, yeah, that was certainly noticeable that, uh, that, that the standard went down that way. I was thinking, you know, maybe you could have, just talking about the rests, you could have some trigger if you touch the other player's rests that, in the MC Hammer song, you can't touch this. Yeah. Up, you know what I mean? <laughs> that wouldn't get annoying, would it, at any point? No, absolutely. Not. Well, it yeah. certainly stopped people from doing it for that very <laughs> But yeah, but I mean, was... that was noticeable on the first day. And Judd, in particular, I mean, you know, he, he was a shadow, really, of what we've seen of him. But, um, you know, he's still in it. Of course, he has to wait. I mean, it's a very strange scenario. He played on Monday. You know, it's over a week then before he plays again. You never get that end up. <laughs> Well, what was interesting was they he didn't play well and he wouldn't be wouldn't claim to have, but they still couldn't beat him. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, even when he's below par, there's still that aura that you get playing the world champion. And even though, all right, there's no crowd, he's got the experience on on TV. But then, of course, the next day and and Wednesday, we're recording this on Thursday, so we've had two uh, three days so far. The the two uh, matches on table one, uh, the last matches came down to the, you know the final match in terms of deciding the group and this new rule which I think I'm not, I think people sort of didn't necessarily even even sort of register before it all started yeah. that that if it's all tied on points and frame difference it comes down to who's made the highest break in the group and we've had this twice Jack Lazowski had to make in the last frame against Brussels a one three eight or above I mean that's you know try making that to order and then last night Karen will and Ryan Day. Well, well, Kyron came in. He had the highest break, 88. Ryan Day beat it with, I think, 91. And then Kyron made 111. I mean, incredible. In the end, Ryan Day, of course, won the, the last frame. But it's a new wrinkle to snooker we've never seen before. I really like it, actually. It, it's very reminiscent. You'll know as a big cricket fan, it, it, it's a bit like the run chase. You mm. know, with someone batting second in the second innings and they're chasing, I don't know, 250 to win. It's a bit like that. And it's not something we've ever seen before because... <laughs> Obviously, there's so much drama if you're trying to complete a clearance to win in the final frame. But there's always that possibility. If you miss, you won't leave anything on. So it's not necessarily a case that if you miss, you've lost. With this, of course, if someone knows the only way they can do it is by making a particular break, they know then if they do miss, that is it. They have definitely lost. So it really is. We always say, you know, in those situations in in a final frame, well, he knows if he misses here, that's it. He's out. But it's literally true in this case, if, mm. we, uh, if we see it coming to that. And can you imagine the drama, say, if it comes down to when they get to the second phase and you've got some young player trying to make a name for himself, Harvey Chandler, for example, trying to get through to the final four, which would be a really big thing for a player mm. like that. And he's at the table and he's got to make a break of, say, 110. The drama surrounding that will be absolutely fantastic. So I really hope we see something like that happen. And, you know, we've seen so many gimmicks and innovations in snooker over the years that just didn't make sense but this is not one of them i think this is really really good and um i, I wouldn't entirely rule out it might be something we, we could see in in other events of this nature in the future so i'm all in favor of it the tap the sort of the um just the focus to be able to do it and and he knew the situation they all knew the situation um it's something they've never had to face before and, and it's it, it it's something that i think when you saw it in the rules you thought oh that probably won't happen well actually because there's only three possible results in the group and because there's only three matches each play, it could happen quite a lot. And it's already happened twice. Uh, and it did happen on table two last night as well with Harvey Chandler and Sam Baird. What happened there was Harvey Chandler didn't know the highest break, which Sam Baird actually had with 96. And he asked the referee and Sam actually told him, <laughs> which was against his own interests. Sam Baird said, oh, I've had a 96. And then he, he knew that he could he could beat it, which he did. Um, so that was kind of strange as well. But yeah, it's, it's added a new... Uh, it's added a new Ah, I don't yeah, think Michael can hear me. Ah, ah, he, he, he should have told me that a maximum. 
Well, yeah, this is this is being honest. You see, <laughs> he should have either one five five or something. He should have said. Um, but yeah, we'll see how it how it progresses. Uh, Mark Selby is playing today. Really, it's going to continue for another week. Um, and you know, let's hope it goes, continues to go well. As I say, not every match is necessarily lighting up the TV screens. But someone described it in one of the team reviews as sort of wallpaper, and it doesn't sound like a great compliment. But actually. You know, it's just it, it's what they're saying is it's always kind of there. It's comforting. It's there. You can dip in and out. You don't have to watch it all. Um, and, you know, it's, it's snooker for 11 days on ITV. What's wrong with that? Well, it's appropriate you're talking you can dip in and out because that's exactly what we've been doing through this podcast. So, uh, so yeah, well, okay, let, let's let's persevere. I, I hope I hope it uh, comes out a bit better than it sounded to me. But, uh, yeah, let's let's press on with it. I think it's probably my end because, as I said, the hotel Wi-Fi is, is like hotel Wi-Fi generally is no good. Anyway, let's carry on. Okay. Um, couple of, couple of bits of business. I think we're going we're gonna to hear more about the tour championship probably next week in terms of different debates. Qualifiers might be reduced in terms of frames and whatever, and it's not going to be the same. And people saying you should cancel it, you should call it all off. It's not the same. It's easy to say that when you know you're earning a salary from a completely different industry. There's people in the snooker world. It's not just players. It's everybody who would actually like to earn a living as well. And if you can get the world championship on safely, even if it's not exactly the same, and they're still talking about potentially having some sort of audience, you should play it. You know, they've proven with this event that they can put on a safe event. Um, the World Championship is our blue ribbon event. It goes all around the world. It is, you know, the annual highlight of the snooker year. And I'm a bit kind of fed up for people who, as I say, are earning earning money from completely different industries who are saying to people in the snooker world that you shouldn't be allowed to because, God forbid, you know, you might have to change it slightly. Um, the World Championship, you know, the show show must go on. That's the old maxim, isn't it? And it should go on as long as it can be played as long as it can be played safely. There are certain, there are a lot of challenges around the qualifiers, which I understand. And definitely non-British players are at a disadvantage. But it's not impossible. Luca Brussel has come over from Belgium for this. He's driven home. He's going to drive back. He's shown commitment to play in, in this Championship League. It's not impossible to to get the World Championship on. There's a lot of work being going on. And I hopefully, I personally hope that it's going to be on. I think it should be played. I think it's be bad for snooker. It was cancelled. And I was told yesterday it was 90% certain that it will take place. Obviously, there's always that 10%. Things can change. But... I hope it's on and I'm, I'm... Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you say that things can change, I think that's the only reason now it wouldn't be on. I think the way mm. things are heading now, it's all pointing in the direction of it happening. And you talk about the audience there, I think what they're talking about is maybe 30%. So that would still be about 300 people, which is a long way short of what we usually have, but so much better than nothing. The one thing I've noticed about this, actually, that I think really helps, in Gibraltar, it just felt weird, didn't it? Because you had rows and rows of empty seats. The good thing about this week is there are no seats, so it, 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 it actually looks more normal, really, the fact, you know, there's no crowd there, but you're not looking at an empty arena, so I think that's helped. I don't know if they could do anything with the Crucible, if it does have to be completely empty, could they do something with the lighting so that you don't really see the seats? Because uh, I think that does enhance it. But yeah, look, absolutely right. I mean, it's it's such a big thing for these players and their livelihoods. I mean, even you win the first match, um, if you're a low-ranked player, it can make a massive difference to your income for the year, and Potentially, of course, someone can win half a million pounds. I, I think the feeling is, if it doesn't happen, the dates that are being talked about now, it isn't going to happen at all. And I think that's probably right, because 
Now, really, if you get much later in the year, then it's too close to, to next year. And, and in any case, if you can't play it in August, why would you be able to then play it in, say, September or October? So I think an announcement will be coming. But if this event that's going on this week, and I know it's only a few days in, is a sort of trial run, in a sense, for what might follow, then from that point of view, I think we will see the Tour Championship and, and the World Championship happening because, uh, you know, you really couldn't have asked for this to have gone any better so far. Yeah, I mean, just finally on the World if there is an audience, there's a couple of issues. Firstly, how do you pick the 200 rather than if everyone's, you know, 1,000 people book tickets? That's going to be awkward. The other thing is, you know, in a theatre, you know, how do you sort of uh, keep people apart? You can sit them apart, but say just things like going to the toilet, how do you decide if someone, someone has to sort of walk across the road to get out, all that sort of thing? There's certain challenges that they have been discussing. I've talked to one of the well, snooker tour people hear about it and you know they're across all that so it may be that there's no audience but the world championship should definitely go ahead and hopefully it will now then we're going to move on uh and we're going to the rest of the show is a list of emails we've had a lot of emails and we've been very excited about our american uh emails we've got some more actually but it could be that turkey is the new america because i mentioned in passing last week that we we, we got into the sort of top 30 on the itunes charts in the, in turkey and we have had an email from a Turkish listener, Mesut Ayan. I hope that's our British name right there, Mesut. He says, hello, Dave and Michael. It's Mesut here from Istanbul. If this email makes it onto your next podcast, it will be the highlight of my year. Wow. Unless Selby wins the World Championship, as I'm a big fan. So one or the other. He'll take one or the other. Um, it's been a I've been listening to your podcast. Hmm. So it take much to be the highlight. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. But anyway, uh, he says, I've been listening to your podcast from the first episode my apologies but was still surprised to hear of its download success in my country well so was i to be honest but anyway i'm glad that some people are listening he says other than my brother and i and a few of our friends at the local snooker and players club i can't say i know many other people in turkey who follow the sport but your statistic gives me hope that maybe one day we'll have an istanbul open or istanbul masters event if riga can have one why can't we i used to follow the career of turkish cypriot player mehmet husnia was he my the maximum in the in a, in a ranking event but there were not many successes to celebrate so now we're big fans of selby uh, we only have one snooker table at the local club but it needs a new cloth and it also means usually we have to play doubles i know i now know why doubles is not as popular in snooker as tennis we love playing the sport my highest break after 12 years is, is only 36 well it's better than some i can assure you uh this is nothing to be proud of but it always gives me total respect for the skill and concentration sport requires we all eagerly await new episodes from Snooker Scene each week. We think episode 109's extended time should be the default for all new episodes. Well, maybe not on this Wi-Fi connection. Um, now, this is the controversial bit. He says, he says um, this is what a turncoat Neil Folds is, by the way. Listen to this. He says, maybe I shouldn't mention this, but there is a Snooker podcast series called The Break from Eurosport, which features a good friend of yours, Neil Folds. Oh, He's not yeah. as good as Snooker Scene. It's not as good as snooker scene, but it's better than table talk. Well, a little unnecessary there, but uh, yes, of course, Neil uh, has appeared on that. In fairness, uh, that, that was a very good series. They ran it during the World Championship. They're actually vodcasts that became podcasts. Andy Goldstein presented them, and Neil was on with Jimmy and, and Ronnie did a couple as well. You know, we 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 welcome all competition. We're we're a broad church. Um, <laughs> uh, and then you've got a few questions here. He said, "We enjoyed the rack pack film many times. What other snooker stories do you and Michael think would be worth telling on the big screen? The sport is full." So many characters and rich history that there is much more to tell. I wonder who would play Ronnie on the big screen. Maybe you have plans of writing another snooker theme play for the stage. Well, I well, you should say that. Uh, sorry, um, Mesut, because uh, I've actually written a play called Black Ball, which I'm not going to bore you with now, but um, 
keep them peeled is in my advice. Uh, yeah, in terms of who would play Ronnie, actually, I was I was thinking about this. There's an actor uh, called Aidan Turner who played Poldark in a very popular series here in the UK. Oh, yeah. um, who, who, to, who to me is a bit of a ringer for Ronnie actually, and um, I don't know. I mean, there's, Ronnie sell uh, the film rights to his. To second autobiography, so uh, maybe uh, maybe that could uh, be arranged in some way. I think the thing with sports films is they, they're very similar, aren't they? I mean, the Rocky sort of um, that's the template for it. It's the sort of plucky outsider who makes it big. Uh, the problem with sports films, though, is they're never as exciting as the sport itself. Um, boxing films are a little bit different, I think, because you have the sort of life and death element to that. But essentially, you know, how many great sports films have there been, really? Yeah, not 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 that many. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just, just on Mehmet Hosnu, by the way, just just yeah. to briefly go back to that. That was one of the first one four sevens. There had only been about twenty at that time. Because I think that was back in the nineties that mm. he made that. So that was very noteworthy at the time. Um, as for snooker movies, I mean, maybe one about the Henry White era, the the uh, mm. the rival we had, and obviously the way that finished with that final frame decider in ninety four. I'll tell you, someone who is made to play a snooker player in a movie and a particular snooker player is Ryan Gosling, because. He's, he's a ringer from Arsenal. <laughs> okay. Now, yeah, I know well, I'll give him a call. Like, Let him know. Yeah, exactly. I don't yeah. want to be offended by that at all. No, no. You talk about Rocky there, and of course, Rocky wins the World uh, Heavyweight Championship, then he loses it, but he comes back and wins it again. So I guess in Mark Selby's story, that's exactly what happened. And I guess that makes Anthony McGill the sort of clubber lang of, Anthony McGill and Mr. T, you know, in, in some, uh-huh. uh, you know, connected in some way there. Um, but yeah, I think the Henry White one might be a good one. Um, but I mean, I, the one that they did that built around that eighties period and the whole Davis and Higgins thing and everything, I think that was the ideal one to do. And if you're going to do another one, then I suppose, uh, take it on to the nineties, but, uh, look, we might be looking back in 20 years at this era as a good time to make a movie. Mm. Well, he's, uh, just a couple more points uh, from our correspondent in Turkey. He says, my English isn't very good. My sister lives in England. She was kind enough to edit my email before I sent it. She said it needed more edits than there are snooker balls. So thanks to my big sister, Esma, from Marston Green in the Midlands. Well, that's very close, actually, to where I live. So, uh, well, uh, hello to you, Esma. And also, uh, this is interesting. He's, he's obviously a Selby fan. He sent me a link to a news story about uh, Turkey's biggest Mark Selby fan, or certainly oldest snooker fan, uh, this was said last year. Grandma Fatma, an 86-year-old from the Black Sea province of Trabzon, is the oldest snooker fan in Turkey and an uncompromising Mark Selby fan, as if there was any other sort. Um, and uh, the, actually, on the click to continue, it says, do forgive me, I haven't had time to prepare this. Mm. Uh, that's, that's not loading. We might come back to this. I can't get the story to load now, unfortunately. But anyway, it turns out, um, she, she refer- I, I did read the story before, before, and she 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 started watching snooker on on Eurosport, and uh, she heard Mark when he won the world championship talking about the promise he made to his father. His father passed away to one oh, yeah. W world champion, and she now refers to Mark as my son Mark. So, so she's obviously a big fan of, of Mark Selby's, and may well be watching the Championship League today because of course he's in action. Sorry, I couldn't get the forward story to load there. But let's go back to we haven't abandoned our American friends. Uh, let's go back to the Bench Cook. He writes, uh, listening to last week's episode, you. Re- Britain living in the US in New York, and I'm a snooker fan. I've lived in quite a few countries and always trying to find A, a good British curry, and B, a snooker table, probably in that order. On the snooker front, some interesting things to note. Even in a big city like New York, it's incredibly difficult to find a snooker table. I've lived there three years and yet to find one. 
because it's such a minority sport, I can watch matches the next day in the US and not even know the results. It's not like the results should have featured prominently, so that's a bonus. I also lived in Singapore for about five years. Such a relatively small place, there are many snooker tables to be found, although pool is played more broadly, perhaps because of more expats. Before that, I lived in China. I think James might be a spy because he seems to be traveling the world. Before that, I lived in China, Beijing, lots of snooker tables there to play on. I also went to see the China Open a couple of times, which is a great experience. I once found a snooker table in a back alley in Kathmandu, Nepal, and taught the locals how to play. I also played on the snooker table in the governor's mansion, now a hotel in Sri Lanka, colonial throwback. Finally, believe it or not, I lived in Toronto, Canada before I moved to China. It's the only place I've seen a full-size snooker table in a pub. Needless to say, I was quite a regular. I met Cliff Thorburn there and stay in touch with them. Anyway, my quest to find snooker tables in far-flung places continues. I'll keep you posted. See, that's a TV series there, isn't it? Go traveling the world looking for a snooker table. Yeah, I mean, you know, I found a table in a back alley in Kathmandu. I mean, that is and will remain for all eternity the best sentence we've ever had on one of these well, podcasts. Well, you say that. There's one, there's one coming up later. There's one coming up later that might beat it, actually. In fact, let's go to it now. Let's right, go on then. Go to it now. Because Hugh O'Donnell, okay? Now, he actually, he's from County Galway. Oh, yeah. uh, but he said, I spent 10 years, I spent 10 years in the States in the 90s. I went to play pool with work colleagues in Kenmore Square in Boston. It was a huge party with live sport movements, 60 or 70 pool tables. The place was absolutely buzzing every time you set foot in it. Nettle was an antique billiard table with a dust cover on it. I played a bit of snooker in Ireland, so I was delighted to see a table and intended to come back with a friend who also played back. Anyway, I came back a week later. We asked for the snooker balls for the table. The girl behind the desk thought I was mad and didn't know what I was talking about. She said, there's no snooker table here. Anyway, I had to walk down to show her the massive table, her words, she never realised it was there, as nobody ever asked for the snooker or billiard balls. Anyway, back to the counter, we went to find a set of balls, which she eventually did, after a lot of rooting under the counter and a couple of phone calls. The place was absolutely packed, as it was Friday evening, the queue for pool tables. The clicking of the pool balls was loud and continuous. We pulled off the dusty dust cover and set up the snooker balls, and away we went. It was definitely an old billiard table, as the pockets were very, very tight. After a few shots, the clicking of the balls started to reduce and a small crowd started to gather, watching these two Irish lads trying to string a few balls together with enormous difficulty. He started with three or four people, 10 or 11, and eventually 40 or 50 people absolutely amazed at what was going on. In my experience, Americans are very friendly and were firing questions at us with the odd one asking, could they take a shot? After a few frames, we packed up and headed off. Myself and my brother went in about two weeks later and asked for the snooker table. We informed the table was gone. I didn't believe it, so I made the walk down to where it was supposed to be, and sure enough, it was gone. I returned to the desk where the girl said, so you're the Irish guy who stirred up the interest in snooker. I asked what happened to the table. This is it now. I asked what happened to the table, and she said the Rolling Stones had borrowed it for their hotel room while on tour. They had erected it in one of, the, they had erected it in one of their hotel rooms. They were on their Voodoo Lounge tour in 1994. They played Foxborough Stadium where the New England Patriots played. Well, what a great story that is. Yeah, <laughs> and and the, the, table, the table snaffled by Mick Jagger and the rest of them. <laughs> if, if I had a few more minutes, I'm sure I could think up some Rolling Stones songs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Don't, don't feel, don't feel you have to do that. Anyway, yeah, you're talking there. He, he used the sentence two Irish lads trying to string a couple of pots together. That, that sounds mm. like one of the matches between Ken and Fergal that we've we've watched over the years when they've both Ooh. been struggling a bit with their games. But uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> bit harsh. Rolling Stones. Now, obviously, Ronnie Wood has been to the Crucible. I, I remember he was mm. certainly there uh, the night uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan won the yeah. championship for the first time in 2001. I always thought they should have invited the Rolling Stones all to come 
together to a world final because mm-hmm. you know you get so much of this kind of celebrity nonsense nowadays and you know you're supposed to be impressed by someone who's been on some reality show having a vague interest in the game here you've got one of the most famous rock bands not just in the world but you know of all time and they're genuinely mm-hmm. massively interested in snooker and at least one of them is good friends with a couple of the game's most famous players mm-hmm. why not invite them along to the world final sit them in the front row even if it was just for a frame, that would be a fantastic thing. And I don't know, maybe it's been done, but I doubt it. And still not too late to do it now, of course. Absolutely. Uh, or maybe not this year. <laughs> um, let's let's go to another American correspondent. Actually, the Rolling Stones. Oh, indeed, yes. Let's go to another American correspondent, Matt Hoffman. First off, I love the podcast been with it. This is episode one. My backstory is I've always loved Q Sports. I've played pool most of my life. Snooker was always a bit of a mystery. I, I'd always heard of it, but never had any knowledge of the game or really understood how it was played. Then I rang across the long-form article, The Unhappy King of Snooker, around 2015, just to say that was in the New Yorker about Ronnie O'Sullivan. Yeah. I said I was, totally fa- I was totally fascinated by it, and lucky for me, the piece came with a video that explained the rules of snooker. Well, that unlocked everything for me. I jumped down the YouTube rabbit hole of snooker, haven't come back. I've become a big follower of the game. I've also devoured quite a few books, including Clark's book, Hector Nunn's book about the Crucible, almost all the autobiographies I can get my hands on. I've been loving the one-on-ones that Stephen Hendry's been doing on Instagram, although he and McManus seemed to get more Scottish as they went on, and those accents can be a bit baffling for us on this side of the pond. Echoing some of the other American fans, tables are few and far between here, and I've still never been able to play snooker as of yet. It seems that some of the larger cities, like New York and Houston, have clubs available to play, but none exist in my area. Well, of course, our previous correspondent from New York said he couldn't find a table. He said, I'm very excited for the upcoming Championship League. I've been itching for some live sport, and I'm pretty sure we can follow this live on Matchroom over here. We don't have access to Eurosport. So always have to wait for YouTube. Well, of course, that's the thing. It's on this Matchroom Live platform for free, so that's a massive uh, chance to actually get more exposure for the game and hopefully our friends across the pond are enjoying it um let's continue this is not an american we now go to germany uh or we will be if i can find this chap's email here yeah so this is joachim hacker from lubeck in germany joachim writes uh, thank you for your excellent podcast always looking for the next episode of follow the game from lubeck in germany long before the sport became an event on these shores my first experience was watching the World Championship in 1983 when I was in Glasgow for the football. I did much sightseeing, but was instantly hooked up by the snooker coverage because that was the year that uh, Steve beat Cliff and Cliff made the maximum. Uh, since then, I've been to the World Championship a few times in person. I always enjoy the qualifiers with the drama and the fact you're rubbing shoulders with the players and you usually bump into someone in your hotel. That won't happen here, I can assure you. It's not, they're not so allowed. Um, like most fans, I'm glad that the sport is back on TV with the Championship League. I'm really fascinated by the format. I knew the tournament existed before, but never followed the scores in depth. Well, this is the other thing about the Championship League. It's sort of become this massive event suddenly, having gone under the radar for years. It's become a huge, a huge deal. He says, do you know the reason there's not been spectators at the event before? Well, yes, don't you judge him. It's very simple. Um, there's not been spectators because it, it was set up to be streamed on betting sites and the stream is behind the live action by, say, 10 seconds or so. So if people are here live, you know, they could sit there on their phones basically manipulating, you know, by betting ahead of the actual stream, they will be able to see what's actually happening and be able to place bets. So for the integrity of the event, the, the, you know that's not allowed. That's 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 why the audience initially wasn't allowed, and of course here it's not allowed because audiences are not allowed. But anyway, thank you for your email. Of course, Germany is a huge uh, territory now for snooker. Uh, let's continue. Who is not German or American? I think I think he's from the UK. Uh, 
been a regular listener to the podcast since the start. Great listen whilst in the car or doing the garden. I think a short topic could be on the lack of young English players coming into the game. Snooker clubs continue to close. Many of the ones open do not attract the youngsters. It's a great way to keep youths off the streets and learn about focus, concentration and discipline. Councils and the government should remove business rights for snooker clubs to keep the games affordable and sustainable for the owners. I considered investing personally in a snooker club and was recently surprised when contacting the council that provisionally they are open to supporting an investment. Of course, several strings are attached, but in principle, they see the many benefits that a snooker club could bring to the community. I think people would be surprised to what extent the council could help. P.S. Selby might tip the championship league. A lot of Selby fans listen to this show. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good point, isn't it? I think, you know, that old cliche about, you know, snooker is a sign of misspent youth. I think people have got past that that now and understand that any sport and anything you can dedicate yourself to can be beneficial and it's entirely right that these places do get some sort of support isn't it yeah well and it's something that's never really happened is it you know it's never really been snooker clubs have always been run as businesses and you know Mm. there are very few of them that really get run you know in a a sort of an academy sense if if you know what i mean i know ken doherty tried to establish that in dublin but it didn't it didn't really work out from that point of view and of course it's getting harder and harder to make snooker clubs pay as a business uh because you know property is so valuable now so to actually make it worth your while to use your property and your space to to run a snooker club you really have to be making good money out of it and of course with fewer people playing the game the tables aren't as full so that becomes more and more of a problem and it becomes harder and harder to make it pay. So then you have to focus more and more on the business side of it and less so on trying to develop young players. And it's just a very difficult one to know what to do um, about it. And, but, but I mean, there's no question you, you see it at the moment. I mean, very, very few really good young English players coming through or anywhere in Britain, actually. And that, that's why I was just thinking about this the other day. I think it's going to become commonplace to see players in their 50s still competing at a very mm. high level. And I'm not even talking about just the very best players. I'm talking about guys who might be in or around the fringes of the top 16, top 32, because they're so good. The young Chinese kids aren't as good as them and the young British kids aren't coming through at all. So I think that's that's the way it's going to go for a while. And I mean, that's I think it's great to see someone like Scott Donaldson coming through. Now, he's a long, long way from being a real top player. But he's getting better. He's young. He's only, I think, 26 years of age. And just even to have someone who's come as far as he has in the game uh, at that age as a British player is actually quite exciting. Obviously, Kyron Wilson, a few years ago, uh, came through at at a similar age and indeed an earlier age and has gone on to to greater heights. But very few and far between. And it's a far cry from 25, 30 years ago when you think back to the established players who really weren't that good by today's standards. We got a rude awakening when the whole new generation came through who had grown up watching the game on TV, were playing it a completely different way to them, and uh, completely swept away the guys who had been hanging around the circuit for years without ever being much good. Now it's the complete opposite. The old guys are far better than anything that's coming through. I just wonder. I just wonder if you know what's been happening will maybe remind people that sport is not just a sort of frivolous sideshow. Um, sport can change lives. You know, we're talking about you know boxing earlier you know it's some of the people who have become champion boxers who come from you know very very humble beginnings and what all people are asking for is a little bit of support that we have the lottery fund in, in the uk but it's very much based around olympic sports um it's good to know that councils are open to you know discussing helping you know business owners who want to open snooker clubs but there is definitely a problem in the grassroots and I, I know that the WPSA are trying to do their best to address it but you, they need help from government as well anyway 
Let's move on to Jared Wallman. He emailed us last week from Duluth in Minnesota, and he's just got a rules question here. He says, I sometimes hear the players state which ball they're aiming at, but not always. What's the rule regarding that? Well, it's quite straightforward, really, uh, Jared. Basically, they only have to nominate the ball if there's another ball close to it. So say the, the brown and the pink, say, are, are next to each other. It's not quite clear which one they're aiming at. They have to nominate. Or if they're touching the ball, they have to nominate. But if they're just on the black and the bit behind the black and they're obviously going to play it, they don't have to uh, nominate it. The referee will sometimes ask them to clarify, um, but that's that's essentially it. Uh, the last email this week, this, in, this in, in contains some extraordinary stuff as well. This is Dave Tyndall. Now, this is a... When we get to the end of this, there's a line in this that is going to, uh, well, I don't think you'll see coming, put it that way. Okay. Um, so he says, I'm, yeah, no, it's a good one. He says, I'm new to the podcast, but absolutely love it. And it's been part of a strong reconnection with snooker during the lockdown. My many, Like many kids in the 80s, I grew up loving snooker and had the obligatory six by three at home. Fueled by a combination of nostalgia and concerns about mental health due to being furloughed, I decided to buy a six by three to keep me busy. After a couple of days of adjustment, it seemed so much smaller with than when I was a teenager, I got up to speed and then decided as a project, I'd reenact the entire 1982 World Championship Finals. (laughs) Playing matches against myself and even doing the commentary in my head was something I did as a snooker-obsessed teenager. So, as Jimmy White, I went for everything, while as Rex Williams, there was lots of safety. It took me a month to complete, as I had to restore the lounge most evenings so we could sit down to eat. In my version, there was a satisfying revenge for Steve Davis over Tony Knowles, a surprise run to the quarterfinals by Canada's John Bear, and a classic semi-final between Alex Higgins and Kirk Stevens, which Kirk won after needing snookers when two behind with three to play. During it all, and <laughs> this is where it gets really good. During it all, I remembered I had a ginger wig in a drawer somewhere. Oh, I found it near Leeds University. I found it near Leeds University and thought, well, one day, I did this magnificent syrup stab my turn and help Steve Davis go all the way to the finals. This is we were flying doors last week. This is literally rewriting history. Yeah. I shared this I shared this with my Sunday 1980s quiz group, and they started insisting I put the final on Zoom so they could watch. See, there was live snooker on doing all this. So to help with identification, I bought a Kirk Stevens wig too. Where on earth do you get that from? I don't know. But anyway, it says to my surprise, given that I thought they were joking, they were all there in front of their screens one Monday night when I logged in and turned the camera for the Davis Stevens final. One of their kids was so hooked he wouldn't go to bed. On YouTube, I was actually nervous to start with, but Steve settled down with breaks of 71 and 57 to win back-to-back frames and send it to a decider. It doesn't say who won, though. That's the only thing. It doesn't actually say who won the tournament. He says, daft, silly, and a tad eccentric, maybe. My goodness, it was such fun to do. Positive comments I got from friends are unbelievable. Unless I've misread your email, Dave, you haven't said who won. Anyway, this is where it's even better. Yeah. I'm on tenderhooks here. Anyway, this is you'll love this next paragraph. Just listen to this. Problem is, now what? Thinking of doing a pot black series, I've even tried to order a cardboard cutout of Alan Weeks. <laughs> now, now Alan Weeks, Alan, Alan Weeks, for those who don't know, was the old presenter of pot black. How on earth, if you get a cardboard cutout of Alan Weeks, then let us know where you got that from, because... It, that strikes me as a niche business. There's probably some guy sitting somewhere with like 3,000 of them in his warehouse thinking, if only one day the phone goes and someone orders one, this could be his chance. Anyway, he says, fantastic podcast, guys. I love people who are good at what they do and do a brilliant job each week. Look forward to working my way through the back catalogue. Dave, thank you very much. But do let us know who won that. You said he went to Decider. I mean, you'd fancy Steve all day long, really. But then again, he did lose that Decider to Dennis, didn't he? So, um, albeit three years later. 
there's so, there's so many questions here. I mean, for one thing, what length were the mm. matches? Like, did, did he play best of 19 in the first round, building up to oh. best of 35 in the final? I mean, these mm. are the things. That, did he have, you know, full presentation, studio analysis? That's in, in, incredible mm. stuff. I do actually remember what, when I was young and starting out, um, you know, not that I was never a good player or anything, but when I was getting really interested in it, and for a while I wondered about technique and should I try to copy a particular player's technique? And I'd do that where I'd play frames where I'd play the shots of different players, trying to copy their techniques and sort of seeing which suit is best. Um, so I certainly remember doing something similar. But I mean, you know, what he's done there is incredible. And, and I mean, to, to, to run a full tournament like that and put it on Zoom. And it does sound like fantastic fun, I have to say. But my word, when you play on those six by threes, the game is 100 times easier. It's just a complete game yeah. to being on full size. The only real difficulty on six by three is because it's so small. The balls kind of crowd each other out a bit, so there's a lot less room to manoeuvre. But uh, fantastic letter, but I can't believe he hasn't told us who won the decider, and uh, hopefully he'll let us know. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to go through it again. I'm pretty sure he didn't mention it anywhere, but um, I'm fascinated to, uh, to find out. Because Richard Herring, the comedian, he has a podcast where he, he recreates, because as a child, he played snooker against himself. He played on his own, and he played both sides. And he's doing whole podcasts recreating that. You know, so, Some people waste their lives, but anyway, he's, he's doing that. Um, um, so that's essentially uh, it for this week. Obviously, I've got to get back to the action. Um, hopefully, the connection hasn't been that bad. I think we've just about got through it. We had a little wobble early on. I, I don't really know to listen back to it, whether, whether I mean, you might have been talking across, but I don't know. Listen, it's there's strange times. We're doing our best. Uh, no book this week because uh, there's a bit of all day long. Wherever you are in the world, you're able to watch it somehow. ITV4 Eurosport, Matchroom Live. Hope you're enjoying it. Email us at snookerscenepodcast at mail.com. Snooker scene podcast at mail.com. Uh, if you want to follow up on anything, let us know where you're listening. We particularly appreciate the uh, emails from around the world. And as I said last week, if you, if you subscribe on Apple, if you can rate us, that would help people like Dave, who's just discovered the podcast, uh, to, to find us. Um, so who's your tip for the Championship League? Hard to say, isn't it? Because obviously a lot of them haven't played yet. We seem to have a lot of Mark Selby supporters, though, listening. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just impossible to say because it's short matches and it's an unusual format and you can have a lot of days between matches as well. So it's not like a normal tournament where you're trying to build momentum. The one thing I would say is we said it last week, didn't we, that it was a chance for some, you know, relatively unknown player to come through and make a name for himself. Well, we've already seen Harvey Chandler do, uh, you know, good things in this tournament. Mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think we'll see a lot more of that. You know, um, we, we will see some real surprises. And You'll end up with the last 16 lineup where obviously you'll have some of the big names. Well, I mean, a couple of big names are through already, but there'll be a lot of names in there that wouldn't be particularly familiar to the general public. And that's, I think, when it's going to get particularly interesting. And imagine now if we got down to the final day in a week's time and the last four, and this is entirely possible, are all players who've never won a tournament. I mean, what a massive day that would be for mm. four of them. That would be uh, really intriguing. And with this format, it's, it's entirely possible. Yeah. Yeah, one thing that doesn't change is the the drama that snooker can produce, and it's a slightly different form in this. But it's been it's been enjoyable, and as I say, we're only really getting going. It's not the week of it yet. Hope you're all enjoying it. I hope uh, this listening to this podcast hasn't been too much of an ordeal. Hopefully, you've got it all, and we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.